Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to our Engineering for the New Reality podcast series. You know, this pandemic has forced companies to do a master reset on everything from supply chain to manufacturing, compliance, partnerships, and even distribution. And there's probably no other industry that is undergoing as massive a transformation as the healthcare industry. What are the older ways of working that need to be abandoned? And how must healthcare adapt to this new normal? We have with us on the show JD, who heads our healthcare business in America. JD, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Hi, Akshay. Um, thank you very much. Um, good morning. Good evening to you. It's, it's in the morning, my time. Uh, doing well, you know, getting used to the social distancing and working from home and, and doing video calls with my colleagues and customers. So it's a whole new world. And like you said, you know, in the front end of all of these is, is the healthcare industry. So a so, uh, lot of changes, a lot of uh, innovations happening. So I'm happy to be here in a different way, though. You know, excitement is there. Great. So, J.D., tell us, what are some of the paradigm shifts that you see in the healthcare industry in this post-COVID era? How will device manufacturers, healthcare providers, and practitioners have to change the way they function and operate? Sure, Akshay, uh, that's a good question. And, and as you can imagine, like any other industry, right, every part of the healthcare industry is disrupted by COVID-19. Um, however, the level of disruption for the different parts uh, or the different players are, 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 are different. Uh, like at the very front end of this are the hospital systems and the doctor's practices, the independent practices. Uh, we all know, and it's been a much talked about issue, is the, is the deferral of uh, the postponement of the elective procedures. Um, it's, it's impacted uh, every hospital enormously. And, and if, if you know, in the United States, uh, the standard operating margin for hospitals, even in, in normal times, is in the range of one and a half to two percent. And because uh, of COVID-19, what has happened is uh, the entire, uh, you know, bottom line earning um, part of any healthcare system is elective surgeries and outpatient uh, visits. And both of them are, are down to 10, 15, 20 percent only to emergencies. So that has impacted uh, the hospital systems and the provider practices big time and, and a lot of them are closing, there's a lot of furloughs happening and so on and so forth. So uh, basically it has pushed everybody to look at how uh, we can make the remote care, the telehealth, uh, the touchless procedures, how can we make them mainstream and make them uh, applicable for, for uh, treating patients besides COVID-19, people who need immediate attention, chronic disease management patients, and so on. But as a result of this crunch, uh, the hospitals are, are postponing their uh, purchase of their equipments uh, beyond the PPEs and the ventilators and some more of the scanning and imaging devices. Now they, of course, have started uh, uh, ramping up on their purchases for um, the testing equipments and so on. Uh, but because of everything else being pushed out, uh, our customers in the medtech space or the life sciences space, uh, the OEMs, the device OEMs, their their orders are are down. Their their you know sales is is, is significantly down. Uh, but not everybody, every company is is uh, impacted in the same manner. 
so if you look at the top 10 medical device companies, uh, the product mix of these companies are very different. Somebody is more exposed on the orthopedic side, so they will get more impacted by, by this negatively. Somebody who has uh, more, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, bigger business in the ventilation and the patient monitoring and the scanning and imaging devices, they will soon see an upsurge in, 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 in their business. People who are mostly into, let's say, cardiac disease management or diabetes care solutions, their business don't get impacted positive or negative. Maybe it'll get, uh, you know, a little bit shifted by, by weeks, but it will not impact uh, as much. So it's very different way things are playing out. And if that's for the medical device OEMs. If you look at the pharma companies, uh, there is very little difference in terms of how their business is, is performing. It's, it's business as usual, in, if, if at all, they're seeing a lot of positives because of all the work on vaccines and testing and, and in, you know, all, all those consumables that are getting sold out as a result of this, whether it's, it's your, um, you know, uh, some of the um, soft soaps or, or any one of those that are getting, getting used up. Now, if you look at the health insurance companies, even though they are getting impacted because of higher reimbursement they are having to do as a result of COVID-19, but these companies have massively deep pockets. So they can weather the storm very easily. So, so healthcare providers, which are hospitals, are at one end, and the insurance companies are exactly on the other end where they make a lot of money. Their bottom lines are really thick, so they are not much impacted. So the response is very different from different people. Uh, just to summarize my answer to this, everyone must conserve cash, so that goes without saying. Uh, they're trying to operate their, uh, um, optimize their manufacturing and R&D functions and any other uh, functions uh, very differently in today's context. And uh, the important part to mention here, Akshay, is that uh, you know we have a unique set of offerings uh, that can help our customers in both uh, um, you know medical device OEMs or pharma companies and hospitals. So if you look at OEMs, we can help them with uh, acceleration of their R&D for the new products that are required to treat COVID-19, whether it's the testing equipments, IVD equipments, whether it's the new designs or, or more affordable ventilator designs, or it is a question of helping them with their, uh, you know, manufacturing, uh, you know, capacity expansions in validating their uh, new lines or existing lines, or finding out new supply chain uh, partners for them. Uh, finally, all these new products and new procedures have to be approved by the regulatory authorities like FDA in, in US. Uh, so we have a, a very strong service offering in QARA, quality assurance and regulatory assurance. And we are already working with a few of our customers to take their uh, products to the market after the regulatory approvals and so on and so forth. So that's a, that's a slightly long answer to your very short question, but it's, it's the impact is so much I couldn't package it any shorter than this. That was great, JD. Thank you so much. So, you know, in these past few months, one of the most popular demands in the medical industry has been improve the speed of diagnosis, but don't compromise on the accuracy or the efficacy of the tests. So what does the healthcare industry do to accomplish this? And how can LTTS help? Sure, sure. Uh, so, so let's look at... Um, 
what are the major roadblocks to get the products to market quickly, right? Uh, so one is, of course, they have, the, the engineering teams have to uh, come up with new designs if they don't have a product or if there are companies who are trying to launch new products in the market just to sort of meet the supply uh, and the demand uh, requirements because, you know, the demand has suddenly three, become 3x and 4x. So a lot many more companies have to fill that uh, demand and, and create new new product lines. So, so they have to design, uh, verify and validate those products in their labs first, right? The functionalities and the features and all of that. And then once the product is ready for, uh, for production, uh, they have to send it out for clinical trials. And the clinical trials go through uh, two or three different phases. But in today's context, there is something called emergency use authorizations, right? So FDA or CE, FDA for US and CE for Europe and MDR and all of that in different countries, it has to give a very short window. Uh, they can give, give a regulatory approval for a certain period. So that's called emergency or use authorization. But eventually these products have to go through the full cycle of 510K, let's say, uh, for FDA again. So the full regulatory uh, approval will be required. So uh, it's a long process. Usually this whole process takes about anywhere between 12 to 18 months from the time the product is ready to be launched in the market to the time they get the regulatory approvals. Now they have to bring that down to like one fourth of what that is. So in three months they have to get their products. So what we can do, uh, multiple things. Okay, we can, uh, you know, and, and, and before that, so stepping back a little bit. Now for this to happen, uh, you know, the OEMs, uh, the clinical trial organizations, who, which are third parties, these are not medical device OEMs, or these are not like any other, uh, you know, regulatory agencies. There's a third party which is sitting in between who will do the clinical trials of these devices in the marketplace. Then there are regulatory agencies who will have to approve the emergency use of these devices. And then finally, the regulatory bodies like CDC, um, healthcare bodies like CDC or HHS, they will have to say yes, go ahead and, and sell these devices in the market. So, so it's a long process, but they're all trying to cut short the time cycle. And, and where we can help is very quickly ramp up our team for both design as well as verification and validation of the devices. We can set up very quickly. We are setting up offshore teams that is that are working with a couple of our customers to, to validate their products and, and designs. The, let's say, for example, we have a team of a uh, pretty large team uh, for quality and regulatory assurance, whether it's documentation, whether it's validation, whether it's pre-certification, whether it's the labs, all of these are being utilized for us to help our customers go through the validation process of the regulatory agencies for certifications and emergency use. And finally, they have to be manufactured and they will have to do the capacity enhancements of the existing lines. They'll have to put it on multiple shifts. So we are in, in, in business with three, four of our customers where we are just supporting them on manufacturing capacity expansion, whether it's in the lines or it's in the validation of so, you know, JD, we've been talking about remote patient care for such a long time. And I think that this COVID era has made this even more essential, right? So how can healthcare providers deliver medical grade remote care to patients? And what can LTTS do to enable this? Very good question. Very good question. And this is one of the uh, areas which is which has really seen enormous amount of 
um, you know, surge in, in adoption. Uh, if there is one positive outcome of this life-changing event for all of us across the globe, it is the, the increased adoption of the telehealth and the remote care solutions by everyone, whether it's, it's the providers, uh, hospitals, uh, practitioners, um, insurance companies, and the patients. So everybody has 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 gone on board and mainstream with, with telehealth and remote care. Uh, if you were to remind, remind the last couple of months, uh, the situation was very, very different. And, and two of the major issues were, one, um, a lot of the telehealth procedures that are being used today were not approved by regulatory authorities as a, as a, uh, a way to use, as a way to treat patients for, let's say, chronic care or even for emergency or acute care. Um, and insurance companies, which is a very big thing in the U.S. market, insurance companies wouldn't reimburse any treatment or any medication as a result of telehealth. So there are only handful of treatments they would do it. And one of the most important bodies for that is Center for Medicare and Medicaid, where about 10% of, of uh, 10 to 15% of healthcare uh, reimbursements are actually done by Medicare. It's a government agency and they wouldn't approve the telehealth-based treatments. And the third one, uh, beyond the two that I just mentioned, there were a lot of security concerns by the patients. So, so there are multiple things that were coming. Technology was ready, solutions were there, a lot of innovations were happening in the digital health space by the startups, but it was not taking off. But as a result of COVID, one is, uh, as of today, there are more than 80 telehealth procedures that got approved by the regulatory agencies like CDC and HHS, right? More than 80, it was less than 10, two months back. CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid, they have approved, uh, you know, um, uh, telehealth procedures for uh, reimbursement. And insurance companies have followed suit and, and they have also agreed to reimburse a lot of the procedures and the medications. As a result, the providers have really low, rolled out in very great numbers. Patients have adopted this technology like never before. Some statistics, you know, I've been reading with, with the, you know, uh, Mayo Clinics. I was talking to Corn Health and we have some discussions going on with Cleveland Clinics of the world and, and basically to understand what's going on. And there are multiple reports out there. Uh, so, so the uptake of this uh, you will be surprised to see that, you know, it used to be, let's say, for a very large hospital system, it used to be 1,000 or 2,000 telehealth, uh, you know, transactions in a month. That has become 30, 40, 50,000 transactions in a week. So that's the level of expansion that has happened on the telehealth side. But as a result of this, all the solutions that were there in the market being, being, you know, uh, you know, provided by all of these um, new and and companies and the startups and the technology companies and, and a lot of the medical device companies as well, they were not tested for this level of scalability, uh, the the interoperability, the security issues that they may face, the efficacy of the solution, which is very important for for the medical, uh, you know, the healthcare industry. That you claim that this solution or treatment will provide these benefits. How do you prove that they are providing these benefits? So one way to do it is clinical trials. Again, they have to go through the trials and all of that. So 
there is a lot of technology glitches that need to get straightened out, whether it's testing these uh, solutions for, for performance, uh, making sure that they're interoperable with the different medical devices and the EMR systems that are there, healthcare IT systems in the hospitals, you know, uh, the security issues are, are not there. People are not able to hack into uh, the critical medical devices that are class three devices or class two devices. And in all of these areas, uh, LTTS is, is working with a number of our clients uh, to, to work on either uh, validating the performance, adding new features and functionalities, or with the cybersecurity challenges, doing their vulnerability analysis, or just working out their interoperability solutions with, let's say, um, the EMR vendors or in the devices, because they're right in the middle of that. So there is enormous amount of activity, probably the biggest amount of activity in the healthcare space today is in the telehealth by every player possible, whether it's the providers, whether it's the uh, pharma companies, medical device OEMs, insurance companies, and the technology industry, because this is where the technology industry has the largest amount of play, whether it's it's the top, uh, uh, you know, ISVs or, or it's it's the digital health startup. Did I answer your question, Akshay? Absolutely, JD. Thank you so much for that. So, you know, you spoke about manufacturing a, a while ago. And with some of the medical companies looking to relocate their manufacturing facilities, how can LTTS help make this transition smooth and seamless? And how can we help with supply chain? Do you see supply chain disruption as a big challenge? Yeah, uh, and, and this is this is right in our sweet spot, uh, Akshay, as you know, and, and we have a very strong offering on the manufacturing services, both on the digital and the IMSC side. Uh, but this is, as far as the medical device OEMs are concerned, this is a work in progress uh, situation right now. Uh, the reason being, uh, unlike many other industry, medtech industry uh, didn't push every uh, manufacturing uh, out, out, out to uh, you know, low-cost countries, the usual usual destinations. They still have uh, most companies, especially the top 15, 20 companies, they still have footprint in their own geographic locations in, in US and Europe. So it's not like supply chain uh, because of COVID-19, whatever shutdowns happened across the globe, it's not like it shut down their uh, supply chain significantly and, and it stopped their manufacturing and everything else, but it got impacted definitely. But what is more important for them is it's a wake up call like any other industry. It's a wake up call for medtech industry as well that they need to look at, uh, you know, multiple uh, supply chain manufacturing facilities and and you know they're exploring already started exploring we know it's been in the news that some of the large companies are looking at let's say india as an alternative option uh, they're looking at other south asian countries as alternative options latin america is again picking up in 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 favor as far as this is concerned so this is a trend which is going to play out in the next few months and quarters and we are very closely working with with some of our customers whether it's 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 in the like you said um setting up new plants uh, transferring existing lines to uh, some other facility or location we are right in the middle of one of the largest top five medical devices customers moving their line from uh, one of the developed countries into india 
supply chain, finding new supply chain is always the biggest challenge because, uh, you know, without that, uh, and, and this is a validated industry, so the, every part has to be validated, every process has to be validated. So if you, even if you find a supplier and the supplier is not validated, uh, you cannot use those parts. So we do that supplier validation, we do uh, supplier identification, supplier back office and engineering as they call it. Plus, uh, all the manufacturing services, all the manufacturing lines have to be uh, validated for IQ, OQ, PQ kind of things. So we are providing those services as well. And uh, so so it's, it's a work in progress and we see in a surge in, in demand of that kind of services going forward as a result of COVID. So JD, we've seen so many unfortunate incidents of healthcare workers catching infections during the pandemic, which brings us to the point that one of the most critical elements for hospitals is to maintain a safe and healthy environment for its staff to operate in. So what needs to be done to keep hospital spaces sanitized and healthy? And do you think the LTTS IBEM shield could play a role here? See, as, as we all get out of this uh, pandemic situation, um, I mean, this disease is going to be there with us for a while. All of us know it and it's been talked about, but the pandemic situation is going to be hopefully over in the next few months. Uh, but uh, the biggest issue that is facing is how do people go back to uh, leading their normal life uh, uh, without without having to be scared every you know step of their way and uh, so it's not just the healthcare workers yes they are right at the front end they are the warriors they are sacrificing their uh, you know sort of lives and family uh, for this uh, but it is also very important for the patients to feel secure when they go out into uh, let's say getting treated for whatever it is and and again it's also uh, one of the business issues with with the with the healthcare uh, segment if the patients don't come back to outpatient departments if the patients don't go back to elective surgeries if the patients don't don't go back for their you know annual physical examinations if if the chronic disease patients are not uh, you know connecting with their uh, doctors for for checkups and all of that uh, it's going to face a much larger problem. But so the only way to do it is how do we get them back uh, in a safe and, and sound manner? So let's try to visualize a hospital environment as a patient. Let's say I walk into a hospital, I have something that I need to get, uh, you know, treated. So I walk into the hospital, uh, there may be a robot who, who's greeting me and, and people are already trying uh, such solutions in the US and Japan and, and Europe as well. Then there's a thermal detection done by the robot, right? Uh, then uh, there's a face image that will be captured, uh, facial image, right? So that will give my biometric information that is already loaded. Uh, there, are, there are ambient technologies around the lobby in the hospital which will capture my uh, vitals, right? Uh, and then uh, there is a digital wayfinder. It will tell me um, how to reach uh, my, my doctor's office. And then after... I, I was treated uh, with all kinds of touchless devices. Um, the medication is ordered online, and and my my medicines are are uh, delivered at home, uh, my doorstep. Uh, so the entire process uh, is is getting sort of disrupted by technology, and and uh, there are touchless screens 
uh, are coming out, uh, such as uh, gesture-based or voice-based solutions are coming out, let's say, for operating those pathological devices, the IVD devices or imaging devices. So our IVM Shield uh, was very aptly and timely. They have come up with a number of features and functionalities that exactly addresses these issues beyond the climate control and the environment monitoring that it does. And and so so solutions for, we, we, we are uh, sort of talking to a number of different uh, companies for solutions for thermal detection, uh, monitoring of air, uh, you know, air purifications uh, through sensors. It's a very important part of the hospital, you know, infections uh, control, right? Because if hospitals are enclosed environments, so if there's an infection in the air, it gets circulated through the central uh, climate control system. So air purification is a huge problem in the hospitals in today's context. So we have solutions in IBM Shield built for air purification, so ten sensors and all of that. We have solutions for retrofitting existing medical devices with gesture-based uh, touchless solutions. We have uh, digital wayfinding solutions that are getting integrated with our IBM solutions for for uh, patients and, and other important uh, solutions for the environment and safety. So IBM Shield is probably one of the very few solutions that are ready to uh, be sort of uh, getting in there and, and solving a lot of the problems that the hospitals and, and, and the patient homes have, are, are facing as a result of this new pandemic action. Thank you so much, JD. This is some great food for thought to anyone in the healthcare industry. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. Absolutely, Akshay. It was my pleasure talking to you. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, do visit our website at www.ltts.com uh, for more episodes of the Engineering for the New Reality podcast series. So until next time, take care, be safe, and have a great day. Thank you.